Hello, my warrior loves. Welcome to Beyond Body, a mini series where we are exploring body image and how to change the internal and external scripts that influence the way you think and feel about your own body. Subscribe and follow along to hear real life stories and experiences on the path to body image healing. Now, if negative body image is holding you back and fueling your eating disorder, listen up. This February, we are curating a small, intimate group of warriors for Beyond Body, a six-month body image accelerator program that brings together tangible practices you can call on for the rest of your life and an intimate group format for deep learning, healing, and integration. Now, we officially start in March, so February is the time to get your application in and get on a discovery call to see if Beyond Body is for you. Beyond Body is a safe container designed for women in their mid to late 30s, 40s, and 50s who want to do real long-lasting work to improve their body image so this one precious life can be enjoyed more fully and freely. With the right approach, skills, and support, body dissatisfaction doesn't have to hold you back in your relationships and career. If you want to make this the year you do deeper body image healing work during the spring and summer months, request an invite to apply for Beyond Body at recoverywarriors.com slash beyond. Spots are limited, so get yours in now by requesting an invite to apply at recoverywarriors.com slash beyond. Today, I want to give you a taste of what it would be like to be inside of the Beyond Body Accelerator program that we are launching in mid-March and taking applications for all of February. So if this is something that you're interested in, I want you to get an idea of what it would be like to get the content that we're going to deliver each week. Now, for all you longtime listeners, you are aware that we've had a format called Five Things. This was a creative brainchild I had of how to take a single theme and break it down into five subtopics. So for the teacher in me, and I know a lot of you listeners out there are actually teachers yourselves, right? Whenever we have something that we're teaching, we want to have learning objectives. So the idea when we do these five things features is to have a very strong educational goal of what we want you to take away from this. As much as I love just conversations and interviews, which are so inspirational, it can be really helpful to also have some structure and to know what are my key learning objectives that I'm going to get out of this that I can refer back to at other points in time. So we decided to no longer do the five things production on the Recovery Warriors show's channel because it really is time intensive and takes a lot of resources. So we will be moving this format into any of the programs that go inside of the Courage Club. So the Courage Club is where we deliver community-centered care for food and body repair. We have daily check-ins with gratitude and celebration. We have weekly Monday mindset videos. We have monthly expert Q&As and warrior challenges. All of this happens within the container of the Courage Club. And inside of this container, we also have programs like Beyond Body, where you get to go deeper with heart-to-heart -heart connection and conversation. Conversation is really not to be undervalued. I've been doing this now for so many years. And quick side note, actually, on that so many years. Today, Valentine's Day, is Recovery Warrior's birthday. Ah, I love it. So 12 years ago, 
12 years ago, Recovery Warriors was born. This is when I officiated the company and I got the paperwork back and it was official. Recovery Warriors and I started this journey 12 years ago and have organically reached millions and millions of people all around the world. Uh, the last time I checked, we have literally reached every single country in the entire world including North Korea. <laughs> there was a session in North Korea. So yeah, and Myanmar. <laughs> and doing this whole beyond body journey, you know, I've also kind of been reflecting on like, imagine, because you know, for many years, I feel like I birthed this company and I've taken care of it year after year. And it's really been a central like part of my life. I, I've not gone a single day where I've not thought about this company. So in, in a way it is uh, similar. And I'm not going to relate it directly to having a kid, but it's it is uh, uh, something that I've taken care of and I've I've sustained over the years and I've put so much love and uh, passion into and have made the most beautiful connections through. I'm just so grateful for Recovery Warriors and the ripple effect of how many people have been inspired by things that they've heard on the podcast or read on the website and have gone on to have their own advocacy work or just to recover and have a more meaningful, vibrant life. It's, it's really... Uh, yeah, it's such an honor to to do this work. And I was reflecting on like, wow, imagine if Recovery Warriors was 12 years old. Like I had a 12-year-old daughter, you know, and like she would probably be getting her period soon and we'd be talking about that. She'd be blossoming as a woman and into womanhood. And it got me thinking too with, with Sarah Wiseman's interview from Renewed Florals around, you know, the onset of puberty. And how this is such a sensitive time for women. I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of applications that come through for our programs, hundreds. And you don't even know how many allude to the eating disorder starting around puberty and around this change in the body and another life transition being menopause. These are very key times in a woman's life where there are body changes that are happening and one can feel out of control. And this is something that we'll deeply discuss in Beyond Body. Uh, and the reason why we are saying it, we're really curating a group of women in their you know, mid 30s, 40s, 50s, because we do want to have these talks about menopause and perimenopause. So if you are under 35, yes, you can still apply to Beyond Body, but really know that we are going to be digging into hormonal health and, and these life transitions. So I do was reflecting on that. So I just want to say happy birthday to Recovery Warriors for being 12 and soon she's going to be a teenager and she's going to get all Riley. She's going to all rebel. It's going to be awesome. Just like rebel, like screw diet culture, like body liberation, body reclamation. So I'm pretty sure Recovery Warriors is going to have some extra sass when she gets into her teenage years. But this is the last year not a teenager. She can, this is the last year uh, before she becomes a, a little tween. So yeah, I just want to say that I felt special. And I love that it's Valentine's Day. I always kind of have that special place in my heart for this company. And But I was, before I got sidetracked on celebrating Recovery Warriors 12th birthday was I've done so many of these programs over the years. I mean, eight years of consecutive programs. And and what I found and why I believe so much in community-centered care for food and body repair is the conversations that get generated in small, intimate, private, 
safe groups where they're facilitated and people are pre-screened before they come in to make sure that the group is a really safe pro-recovery space. And conversation really drives away shame. You know, and you may find that talk therapy is really helpful for you. And I cannot underestimate the power of talking in groups among people who struggle with the same issue as you. It really does start to blast away that shame. And the more you can dismantle shame, the stronger your recovery will be. Today, I want to share a previous five things feature that we did on control. And I think control is such an important piece of body image work because so many people are afraid of losing control of their body. What will happen if they change their food behaviors? What will happen if they stop engaging in these behaviors? And this format is what we'll be bringing into Beyond Body every deep dive session that we have. Every month, we'll be doing three deep dive sessions based on a theme. So every theme will have three topics that gets covered. And so if you can imagine what this five things format would be like is for every topic that gets covered, we have our five key learning objectives that you'll learn from in an audio on a private podcast. And the questions that you'll be covering inside of your deep dive session will be integrated into the podcast. That way, when you're listening to it on the go, you can think about it and pause for a second and think, what will I want to say in my deep dive with all my other Beyond Body booties? Booties. (laughs) I was calling you guys beauties, but booties. (laughs) All my Beyond Body booties. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so essentially, you can listen to the lesson, get the insights, be able to be prepared in less than 25 to 30 minutes. We do all the investigative research work of going to the scientific articles, uh, interviewing experts to bring in their sound clips. So we do all of that work so we can really distill it down to you to what is most important. Today is a little sample of what we've done in the past, but in the future we'll be doing these five things features focused on the core deep dive themes of Beyond Body, which are body shame, body care, body grief, body style, body eros, and body renew. So those are our six core themes that will be covered over the course of six months. And we have breaks where there's no calls for integration and vacations. So if you go to recoverywarriors.com beyond, you can request an invite to apply. We'll be opening applications on February 18th. And when we do that, you'll be able to see all of this laid out for you. So you don't need to remember anything other than going to recoverywarriors.com beyond. If you are interested in deeper participation, integration, connection, and learning valuable embodiment skills that can help regulate your nervous system so you can successfully ride waves of body image distress without turning towards sabotaging behaviors or really just feeling like you get thrown back, right? We're really working on body image resilience here. So without further ado, let's get into the lesson for today. Today is a five things feature where you get more recovery wisdom in less time. Each week we talk about five things related to recovery. And today's topic is on five reasons control is linked to eating disorders. Because this is such an important process in recovery is letting go of all the anxiety. Anxiety really translating to future oriented fear of what's going to happen. What's going to happen to your body? What's going to happen to your life? And so when we can start to understand how to surrender, how to let go, what what does control look like? That can help a lot in the recovery process. 
Now, I want to start off from the very top here and just put out this idea that control is a way to cope. Okay, so you often hear that an eating disorder is a developed coping mechanism. And so let's think about how control factors into this becoming a coping mechanism. We all have this need for a stable and predictable environment. This is a core human need. And so what frightens us or gives us anxiety is not actually when bad things happen. It's when we're not sure whether a bad thing will happen or not. This is why anxiety is referred to by researchers as future-oriented fear. I love breaking the word anxiety down as that future-oriented fear. Because think about how much of anxiety is not based in the present moment. In the present moment, in this very present moment, you are safe. You are safe in this very moment. It's that future-oriented fear, that anxiety, that can tell you all the reasons that you're not going to be safe, all the reasons that you won't be able to handle, you won't be able to manage the pain. So just once again, remember this key is that the anxiety is a future-oriented fear. And control is our way to say, oh, I don't want this to happen in the future. So therefore, I'm going to try to control my present situation so I can control my future because I do not want to feel these certain emotions. And we live in a world that is uncertain. And we seek to make our environments and our lives predictable, to not feel vulnerable. And so we create routines, we build habits, we organize our lives around repetitive goals, beliefs, and behaviors, because all of these create some form of safety and predictability. And this is when an eating disorder can come into someone's life, where it becomes about one's food, weight, and self-concept. These all need to be meticulously managed and controlled. So think about the way that your eating disorder uses control. What do you control in a day when it comes to your eating disorder? So with all of this said, let's dive into five reasons control is linked to eating disorders. Number one, an external locus of control. First, let's break down this word locus of control. What do I mean by locus of control? Well, the word locus is defined as a particular position, point, or place. Now, I find it helpful to think about the word focus when you think of locus. A locus is a point of focus. Essentially, your locus of control is where you put your focus. And everything I'm sharing today has come from scientific research articles around eating disorders and control. And they define this locus of control as two different variables, two different ways of looking at it. You can have an internal locus of control and an external locus of control. So an internal locus of control is when you believe in the power to dictate your own fate. So this is an inward belief that you have the power to dictate your own fate, that you are in charge of your life. An external locus of control is when you believe that you are at the will or power of others or that your future is left in the hands of fate or chance. So when you have an internal locus of control, this is going to lead you to feel more empowered and confident, right? Because you believe in your power, your sense of personal agency to dictate your own fate. When you have an external locus of control, this will lead you to feel helpless and powerless because you don't believe that you have the will or the power. And these emotions, helplessness and powerlessness, lead to anxiety and despair, Because think about this idea of the future-oriented fear. So there's something in the future. If you don't feel like you're capable of handling it in the future, that you're going to be helpless and powerless in that moment, that 
is going to be a lot more anxiety provoking than something that could happen in the future. But you have this internal locus of control and you're like, I'm going to be able to handle it. It's going to be hard. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I'll be able to handle it because I have this internal sense of agency. And the research studies show that women who report higher levels of eating disorder pathology tend to have an external locus of control. And your external, your locus of control can shift, by the way. It doesn't mean like, oh, I am someone who only strictly has an internal locus of control, or I am solely someone who has an external locus of control. The idea is that it can shift, but the more you can have an internal locus of control, the more empowered and confident you will be. But an eating disorder is heavily tied to having more of an external locus of control. And this essentially means that the power inside oneself gets placed outside of oneself. So one's internal power gets externalized. And this can be placing one's power onto the opinion or behavior of another person or placing one's power on a food or a number or a reflection in the mirror or a specific body part. All of a sudden, the power gets put onto that. That becomes the locus of control. I want to control this person's perception of me. I want to control their behavior so I feel safe. I want to control what I eat so I feel safe. I want to control this food, this external object, so I can feel safe. And this is a common thing to do. So to not have shame when unpacking all these different ways that control shows up with an eating disorder. However, if you find, oh my gosh, I do, I put so much power onto other people's perceptions or I lose so much of my power to things outside of me, right? Think about how powerful food can be. Think about how much power can be put onto food. Food is an inanimate object, yet it gets so much power charged onto it. So you're taking your own true power and you're projecting it onto something outside of yourself. You don't have your power. You lose your power. You put it onto that object. So what's important is to start to learn how to call your power back. And you can literally say this internally. You can literally say this to yourself, like, I am calling my power back. So just noticing every time that you are giving your power away to something, to a person or to an object. And remember that the point of power is always in the now. It's always in the present moment inside of you. And so you can call your power back. And as you begin to call your power back, you go from being more centered around an external locus of control to having an internal locus of control. And as you begin to shift this power dynamic from external into internal, you begin to have the power to make decisions that support you in creating a better and more fulfilling life, which is an amazing thing to strive for. Now, let's move on to our next reason control is linked to eating disorders. Number two, feelings of ineffectiveness. Ineffectiveness is defined as the quality of not producing any significant or desired effect. So it's kind of like being worthless. Like, oh, that was worthless. It didn't have any significant or desired effect. For example, maybe you thought you were going to hit a certain target or get a certain result and you didn't. You came up short, did not hit the mark. And this can be something that is more in terms of goals, but also something that is just more inherent into someone, just not feeling like you are hitting the mark in life. Like who you are doesn't hit the mark. It's not good enough. This is when you can start to have these feelings of ineffectiveness. And this contributes to a diminished sense of control because you begin to question your capability. You begin to question your worth. 
And according to eating disorder research studies, when you feel ineffective, this is theorized to be dependent upon standards of perfectionism and self-criticism. So think about how much does self-criticism tie in to your eating disorder? How much does perfectionism tie into your eating disorder or your personality? Think about the ways perfectionism has operated in your life outside of an eating disorder, maybe in the classroom or in the work environment or in your home life and your relationships. And think about the ways it has tied into your eating disorder, like how you strive to stick to a meal schedule or a meal plan perfectly or a workout schedule perfectly. So when you start to think about all these ways perfectionism shows up in your life, this is another way for controlling feelings of ineffectiveness. So this perfectionism and being self-critical are mechanisms to try to increase one's effectiveness. Okay, I'm coming from this place of not believing I'm good enough, so I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and be this person so I can be good enough. And the reality is this ends up backfiring. This isn't a strategy that's coming from a pure place. And it ends up creating more feelings of inadequacy and worthlessness. And it's kind of counterintuitive. And as a recovering perfectionist, I can tell you with years of experience, it doesn't work. Like when you think, oh, I'm going to be perfect at this, then I will be loved. No, it's the opposite. It's coming from this place of I am loved, therefore I can do things. Being lovable is not a transaction. It's not something that we do. It's something that we are. So when we feel like we aren't doing enough or aren't enough as is, this creates feelings of inadequacy and worthlessness. And this can have a profound effect on confidence and self-esteem. And this is where control comes in to cope with feelings of inadequacy and worthlessness. You start to try to control your environment, control what you do by having these high standards of perfection or playing a certain role or trying to fit in a certain image. Like if my body just looked like this, then I would be good enough. And the key to really resolving this is to start to really connect to this idea of your inherent goodness, this enoughness that is just innate, your innate enoughness as is in this very moment. Despite any external success, any validation that you get outside of oneself. And this is when you can start to heal feelings of ineffectiveness. Because at the root, because at your core, you are inherently good. You are inherently enough. You are inherently worthy of love. With that said, now let's move on to our third reason control is linked to eating disorders. Number three, a fear of losing control over body. A major contributor in eating disorder pathology is a fear of losing control over many things in life. And one big one is your body. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this fear come up in my decade plus running recovery warriors. So many people are like, I am really wanting to recover, but I don't want to have a recovered body and I don't know what my recovered body is going to look like. Therefore, I don't even want to go there. It's like, I don't know what the end result is going to look like. Therefore, I don't even want to start. Or I'll get just far enough so I'll get a taste of it. Like, okay, I'm kind of feeling this. I'm feeling the recovery. I'm doing the steps. And then all of a sudden you're like, ooh, and now I actually have to go like the distance and I don't know what's going to happen if I do that. All right, now I'm just going to backtrack. 
and kind of stay in this partial zone of recovery or only getting just far enough to, to kind of feel like you're doing it and then retracting back. And essentially this boils down to not trusting or accepting the body's natural process in recovery. And on top of this, of not accepting the body's natural process is realizing that if I let go of this, I'm losing a coping skill that has helped me face a lot of life's difficulties. And so this is where people start to get stuck because managing one's weight has been actually something that has distracted them, has kept them busy. When you're constantly focused and worried about your weight and your food, you don't have to think about other problems in your life or other things that need your attention, deeper unresolved emotional issues. I heard therapist Jen Beasley once say, and I just love how she described this. She said, your eating disorder starts off as a safety blanket until it becomes a straitjacket. And that's just such a great metaphor, just like visual of it. You know, like at first you have this safety blanket, it's all like warm and cozy and, you you know, it's helping you and keeping you warm. It's, you know, it's something that's soothing. And then all of a sudden it it's a straitjacket and it's controlling you and you're confined by it and you're trapped in it. And so what happens when people feel stuck or trapped, they are really coming across this ambivalence in the recovery process. I mean, much of this isn't fully on the conscious level. It can be unconscious. Like, so there may be parts of you that don't want to recover, that are afraid if I recover, I'm going to lose the safety blanket. If I recover, I'm going to lose control over my body. I'm going to lose a coping mechanism that has been a big part of my life. And you may fear that if you let go of control of meticulously monitoring food and exercise, that your weight will begin to spiral out of control. This is a very common fear. I have no idea what my weight is going to be. Therefore, I'm going to project these doom and gloom scenarios that my weight is just going to snowball and it's going to be horrendous and terrible and I won't be able to manage and handle it. That's that anxiety, right? That future-oriented fear. When the locus of control is external in that sense, right? It's the weight. The number is getting the power there. The body shape is getting the power And then for some people, the eating disorder has really been something that they feel that they've been effective at. Like that has shown that I am capable of restricting really well. In that case, thoughts like if I put on weight, I will have failed in the one area I thought I could control. This was something I could control. And if I put on weight, then that means I failed. And then for people who feel that they've been out of control because of the binge eating cycle and just not being able to stick to what they say they're going to eat. Then you start to wonder, what am I going what's going to happen if I stop dieting and I stop controlling my food? Because that is what was connected to safety, even though it led you to be out of control. Even though the cycle would lead to moments of going out of control, it would always go back into, well let me get control back and restrict again. Let me go back and diet so I can get control again. And then there's questions that come up too, like what if I actually start to enjoy food? That can be a scary thought. What happens if I, if I like all these things that I said that I'm not supposed to eat? What happens then? And what if I relax and then I can't stop putting on weight? What if I have to buy bigger clothes? What happens if I go to an event and people see me and they judge me? And all of these are real 
fears that bring up real emotions. And they boil down to a fear of losing control over one's body. And it's okay to have fear. That's an important piece of all of this, is to understand fear is natural. But how can you work past it? So think about your recovery. Can you connect to the fears that you have around losing control over your body? And how has wanting to control your body size kept you stuck from making progress? How can you bring acceptance and curiosity to the process? Just because your mind creates this fearful future doesn't mean it's going to happen. So once again, when we're working with fear, fear can be broken down into false evidence appearing real. The fearful thoughts aren't truth. They are just us trying to control and seek out safety. Now to our fourth reason control is linked to eating disorders. Number four, fear of losing control of identity. Now, over time, the eating disorder can feel like part of your identity, very much like you and the eating disorder are one. An eating disorder can give you a sense of purpose. It can give you a direction, a goal to aim towards. And as humans, we love to have things to work towards. We love to have goals. So think about how much time per day gets invested into your eating disorder thoughts and behaviors. Between the counting of calories, the rumination of past meals, the obsession over future meals, the ways to compensate through exercise or other behaviors like purging, and on top of all this, all the self-critical dialogue that goes into bullying your body and just yourself. So when you're looking at all of this, this is hours upon hours upon hours a day. And if you stretch these hours out over prolonged periods of time, and an eating disorder really does start to warp in how you identify with yourself in life. I always like to look at the word identity etymologically. So the origin, breaking down the etymology of it, the origin of the word identity. And it breaks down to the word sameness. So the origin of the word identity is sameness. So when you think of identity, it's just a repeated sameness. Doing the same thing creates an identity. So when you think about if you want to change your identity, it means you just have to change what you're doing and how you're being, how you're showing up. So that just means choosing different behaviors or ways of being, and that creates a new identity. And going back to this concept of ambivalence that we discussed, as much as a part of you wants to recover into a new identity, there can be another part that is afraid to be without the eating disorder identity. Questions like, how will I spend my time? How will this change how people think of me or how they see me? What happens if they comment on my weight? What happens if people start to treat me differently? What will I do with all the time that I spent on my eating disorder? Now, these are big questions and they can lead to existential dread. Like, who am I without an eating disorder? All of my... All of my self-concept has been wrapped around this. This has been my big problem to solve. Who am I if I don't have this problem to solve anymore? And this is what the great journey of recovery helps you find out. In order to be who you are, you must be willing to let go of who you think you are. 
Now for our last reason control is linked to eating disorders. Number five, fear of losing control of emotions. Now control extends beyond food portions and ingredients and body size. People with eating disorders are trying to control their emotions too. And let's be real, emotions are messy. When they have been repressed or viewed as unsafe to share in the past, they can be even more wild and unruly. And I remember when I first started taking my treatment seriously, I carried around a feelings list with me everywhere I went, and I checked in with it multiple times a day. So my, my goal and my intention there was to become more emotionally literate, like to actually read line by line all these different emotions, because I felt so numb to my emotional world. I came from a very emotionally stunted home and was not well-versed in emotions. Like, it's like being in high school with the literacy of a kindergartner. You know, I'm like, uh, like, how do you feel? Okay. (laughs) Is that a feeling? I feel okay. I feel bad. I feel good. I feel fat. Like, that was my range of emotions. Okay, good, bad, fat. And fat's not even an emotion. So I needed to become more literate. I had to learn how to connect with my emotions to actually start to feel where they were in the body and then from there start to tolerate them right once you once you start to name it you can claim it like oh okay this is anxiety all right like I feel the compression in my chest I feel the shortness of my breath I feel the racing mind right I feel this like pressure in my head and we all experience these emotions differently and in the important piece is starting to really identify how they show up in you and finding ways where you can tolerate them and emotionally self-soothe without turning to eating disorder behaviors. And so at that time, once again, I was completely unaware that my emotions had anything to do with my eating disorder. I thought my issues around controlling my food and my body were specific to just my food and my body. I thought that was the problem. Like my problem is the food and the body. And I never thought that there was this complex coping mechanism that was underneath that was trying to help me self-soothe, right? My, my safety blanket. And it was also helping me to act out these deeper buried emotions like anger and shame from childhood abuse and trauma that I had. These were deep within me and it was easier for me to punish myself than actually address these issues and to, to really allow them to come out and allow them to surface and feel them. And if you're at this phase, and if you're at the phase where I was at, and you are like, I, yeah, I'm pretty like illiterate when it comes to emotions. I, I don't really know how to feel them. I don't know how to describe them. I don't know where they're in my body. That's totally okay. It's just the act of bringing that more into consciousness. And even if it is on the unconscious level, like you are not aware, know that your emotions are still influencing your decisions. We make decisions based off our emotions. And then these decisions are what influence our behaviors. And then these behaviors are what influence our identity. And so when you recover, it's important that you start to find your new emotional safety blanket, new ways to cope with your feelings, new ways of understanding how self-punishment operates in your life and ways to heal this tendency to beat up and berate yourself. Now there's things you can do, journaling, working with a trained professional, practicing somatic release exercises, starting a meditation practice, and cultivating self-compassion. I mean, these are all amazing skills to start developing and turning towards 
to help you let go of an eating disorder. And when you do so, you are more equipped to start to experience the full spectrum of your emotions and trust that you can handle what comes up. So to review, our five reasons control is linked to eating disorders are one, an external locus of control. Two, feelings of ineffectiveness. Three, fear of losing control over body. Four, fear of losing control over identity. And five, fear of losing control over emotions. So take inventory, which one of these fives, or if not all of them, are part of your eating disorder recovery process and seeing yourself, "Mm, yes, this is an area that I am controlling. And recovery is surrendering the very thing that first kept us safe, and that is control. And eating disorder starts out as a way to be in control until it ends up controlling you. It's a safety blanket that turned into a straitjacket. And with the right support, it's possible to get out of that straitjacket, to change your relationship to control. 